Hello, welcome to the Inside Ellen Road podcast from the Yorkshire Evening Post. This is episode 80. I'm Graham Smith, Chief Football Writer, and I'm joined by Joe Arcott, one of our Leeds United writers here at the YUP, to discuss all things Leeds United. Episode 80, Joe, it's a, a landmark, a milestone. Is it? Not really, no, but it's very close to the number of consecutive starts Matthias Kleck has made for Leeds United. Yeah, and I don't know how long it's taken us to get up to 80, but I would hazard far longer than that. Well, given that he who shall not be named was was here beforehand, I don't know when you started the podcast. I did actually listen to one of the podcasts um, when I was preparing for my interview. How gracious of you. Uh, <laughs> it's nothing to do with being gracious. <laughs> I was trying to harvest information from you and Phil. Um, everyone seems to have a Leeds United podcast these days. There's a lot. It, it did seem to go from there being none to now there's a lot. Some of them are very, very good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, the square ball especially. Square ball are great. Um, we've both made appearances um, on... Well, I've made an appearance on the square ball. You've made an appearance on LS11. Yeah, and Talking Shot as and well. And we've both been on Talking Shot as well. And they and that's not to say that boastfully. Um, it's just a bit... Well, I was on just, last week. So. <laughs> just <laughs> listing, listing the people who've had us on the podcast, but they've all got really great setups. From what I've seen, they all produce really good podcasts, and they're all really different as well, which is great. And it's not like copycats. Um, yeah, they're not. They don't just repeat after each other, do they? Which is good. A nice. It's also nice for us, I think, as well, to listen to different opinions. Yeah, that sounds really maybe a bit stupid and arrogant that's not how I mean it I mean it's just nice to understand how the fan base is feeling by listening to these podcasts I don't think you sounded arrogant just stupid um, <laughs> so Matthias Click has made 82 consecutive league starts including two playoff semi-final games for Leeds United um, taking him past Strachan I believe who had 81 um, quite a remarkable run in this day and age when footballers seem to get injured every five minutes or get dropped because of form or whatever, or get suspended. The fact that he's made that many appearances, I think, is fairly remarkable. More remarkable than us reaching 80 podcasts. It, I don't know. Is it more remarkable than us reaching <laughs> 80 podcasts? <laughs> what are you trying to say? I think it's, it will be really interesting, we don't have this information to hand I imagine, but to see who is next across the championship because a lot is made about the gruelling nature of the division and to basically play nearly two seasons worth is a pretty phenomenal feat and a tip of the hat to him also for you know Bielsa, well the fact that it's not only this achievement, but the fact that he basically came back from the brink, you know, he was in the middle group when Bielsa first came, he wasn't, there was no guarantee he was going to be here, he got shipped out under Thomas Christiansen, and then sort of forced his way back in through pre-season, I think Bielsa initially started him as a centre-half, and then moved him, and pardon? Then, yeah, exactly, well, it's not actually a pardon, is it, because Bielsa just plays anyone anywhere. I know, but I cannot imagine for the life of me. But then he, he sort of played, I think, I can't remember which game it is, I'm sure someone will remind me, I think it was Geisley where he he played him in this role he's in now, and then Bielsa sort of apologised in the weeks after, and suddenly went, I got it wrong, and then Forshaw got injured, 
sort of in the build-up to that first season. I think he broke a bone in his foot and that was his chance. And he's just not looked back since then. And it is kind of quite remarkable, really, that someone who was essentially 50-50 to ha- even having a future at the football club has now, you know, what was it, 81, 82 uh, on Wednesday. It's, it's pretty phenomenal. Yeah, it is phenomenal. Um, his secret is that he takes a nap whenever his daughter takes a nap. I mean, that might not might be... If you did that, you would never be awake my, with all your children. <laughs> None of my children nap now during the day, sadly, so um, so I'd never be able to take a nap. So there's no way I'd make it to 82 consecutive appearances. Um, we have asked him about it quite a lot, you know, the fact that he plays all of the football all of the time. Um, and he can't quite believe it himself. You know, he's talked about saying to his agent or a pal or, or whatever that, you know, I can't believe I've played 80 games. You know, he never thought he'd be able to play that many. Um, but playing that many is one thing. Playing that many for Marcelo Bielsa on top of goodness knows how many murder ball sessions and long runs at Thorpe Arch and all the all the extra pre, pre-season work, that is a remarkable feat. Yeah, I think um, there's, there's always this weird... Twitter debate isn't there about the amount of impact he has on games and it def- there is definitely an element of him being underappreciated I think but the fact that it doesn't always result in you know direct assists or, or goals but I think I can't remember when you went to speak to him you talked to him about the fact that he always seems to have the, the pass before the assist and he's always I mean the line in the programme at the weekend and he, he was saying he wants to get to 100 but He's never happy, regardless of if he has a good game, if the team don't win. And he he just almost epitomises this team player aspect of of Bielsa and that we've come to see in the last two years. A little bit underappreciated, maybe. But when you take when you take him out, if you ever take take him out, he probably <laughs> would be missed. But we don't know because he's always there. <laughs> he is always there. He's always running as well. He's always there and he's always on the move. And I think that was so evident. On Saturday, Mark Bowen, Reading manager before the game, said words to the effect of Leeds might have a midfielder who can run harder and run faster than John Swift, but they won't have the player, a player of his ability. And he'd prefer to work with a player like John Swift rather than someone who just runs up and down. Now, he did say at the end of that sentence, that's not to do them a disservice because they do more than that. I wonder if anyone had shown that to Matthias Click given that Marcelo Bielsa revealed at the end of last week that Click runs more when he's angry. You know, he sprints more than anyone else, he runs more than anyone else, but he runs most when someone has ticked him off. And I just wonder if someone might have casually cut that out from Mark Bowen and left it in his uh, his locker. Um, because he was superb and he ran Swift completely out of the game. You know, Swift was not a threat. He was not a factor. And this is the guy who makes the joint third most assists in the league he makes the joint top number of chances 2.6 chances per game he is a, a big big player for Reading and a really gifted player a player that Bielsa rates really highly and Click just ran him out the game so what you're saying is legs over skill <laughs> no because <laughs> because it wasn't just, it wasn't the fact that Click just ran him ragged it was that Click was always in in a position to get the ball, always did something clever and progressive with the ball. And so 
Leeds were always on the front foot, so Swift couldn't get the ball. The ball wasn't there. It was it was attack being the best line of defence for Leeds United. The click was always on the front foot, so Swift was on the back foot, and and it was a brilliant performance from him. Um, and I just thought it really interesting that Bowen had said that before the game, and then Click went out and produced that kind of performance. Well, it's an interesting line because the amount that teams generally have the ball against Leeds means that their players that have the quality have to produce more than you know, like more than they would, you know, because a lot of a lot of the, in a lot of championship games, you, you'd probably get a lot more chances against everyone else but Leeds. So. But the fact that John Swift was essentially, like you say, not even marked out, he just wasn't allowed or given much room to, to manoeuvre and get up to his usual guile, which is, I guess, is, is a mixture of both things. But I think if you're offering me one of the two, <laughs> i take Click every day. Uh, you would say that, you're a Leeds fan. Um, but I would probably also say that, based on what I saw on Saturday. And that is not at all to decry John Swift or his ability. because I can't believe he's blown my cover. Because he's obviously... <laughs> He's obviously a very, very good footballer. But very good footballers can be made to look very average when they don't get the ball. And for me, Click is, is like the... He's the perfect Bielsa player. He's the athlete who can do all the running, forwards and backwards. But also, he makes those um, very scripted runs that Scott Parker talked about. He makes those runs constantly. He makes clever runs that teammates either don't see or it creates space for someone else to run into. And when he has the ball... He makes good use of it. Um, this season, he definitely hasn't produced as many assists and goals as I think he himself would like, but I think he's having a good season. I would argue that's a general trait across the midfield. Pablo as well. This sounds like a criticism. It's not a criticism because he had a phenomenal season last year in terms of numbers, but he's down from 12 goals, 12 assists. I just think it's a general thing across the midfield that you know we, we're going back to the same debate that we've seen talk about every every week that Bamford doesn't score enough but it's also the people behind him but I think it's just a general thing in this team that they don't seem to have enough enough goals in them it's a vicious cycle as well that if you're putting in good good balls into the area and the person on the end of them is not scoring and you're not getting your assists yeah. then it gets picked up doesn't it um, Pablo produced that little bit of magic that Leeds United needed how many times this season have teams packed the penalty area and the ball has ricocheted off a defender and gone wide or over the top or, or back out of the area. Well, Pablo took a shot. It did ricochet. It came back to him. And then he just um, cast a spell over the defenders and moved like a man much younger than him. And The best thing about that goal for me, other than the finish, you know, that lovely little deft finish into the top corner, was the fact that he started that move on halfway. So he played the ball out to the right. Click then ran into the corner, plays it to Helder Cost on the edge of the box, and he back heels it. And there's Pablo, who's sprinted from halfway, keeping up with play at the age of 403 or whatever it is now, and and just dances past midfielders. And he's he's still really nimble and agile and mobile for a man of his age and for a man of his experience and for a man playing as much football as he has with his injury problems this season. Yeah, he looked he look back to sort of what he was producing on a regular basis last year. I think he would probably be the first one to admit that maybe the last couple of months his performances have been a bit inconsistent. But I think he, he definitely improved against Bristol City and then against Reading. I, thought, I felt like he, were, he was sort of back to making a real impact that Leeds are going to need over this next 12 games. And 
it's just that it's sort of when you think of Pablo, it's that kind of finish, you know, like deft, clever feet. And although the keeper did get a little touch to it, I don't think, you know, you know, a lot of people would have maybe tried to just prod it into the bottom corner or whatever. But he had the presence of mind to sort of jab it into the top corner with the, with the goalkeeper, even though we could get there, didn't, didn't cool. get enough on it to keep it out. I wonder if time kind of stands still for players in that situation, you know, in front of that many people with the expectancy and the pressure and everything. Or if it's just muscle memory, you know, he's done that so many times in training, that little jig and then the the finish um, just makes it look, it made it look so easy and so natural. Um, and what, what kind of marks it out for me is that so many of Leeds United's chances come because the ball goes wide and a winger does well and plays in a low cross or click or, or Pablo will play in a low ball and somebody gets a chance to drill it in. This was a kind of a move that was started at halfway, got a bit of fortune, there was some nice movement, but then it was a moment of individual brilliance that you don't really script for, like that's not really in the script. Um, I might ask Bielsa about this week, you know, how much room there is for individual brilliance like that in in his system, but how many times have Leeds needed that this season? Somebody just to unlock a stubborn defence, bamboozle a couple of defenders and stick it in the top corner. Um, it would have made life a lot so much simpler for everyone had that been produced on a more frequent basis yeah and we're talking about individual brilliance how many I, I would probably say the majority of players when that ball comes back to him in a second will probably just hit it again yeah. <laughs> whereas he has a presence of mind to sort of slide he gets a little bit of luck in that it ricochets again off his shin but he sort of has a presence of mind to try and slide past his defender and then shoot so yeah I think I'm not sure whether we are able to answer the question you asked about players. I, I'm assuming that, that players in the Premier League and or players from the Championship who have stepped up into the Premier League will probably be able to answer the question a bit better. Mm. Um, it would be it's a, it's a really good thing. It would be an interesting thing to know whether it's just that everything's quicker in terms of the thinking, or you know, literally, or whether it's it's you know almost a bit like snooker style where there are always one or two moves ahead of. But mm. football's a bit more unscripted than than things like that, so it would be interesting to know. Players like like Pablo, it's funny. Click actually said I asked Click about this about what makes him that player to play the pass before the cross or the the goal, um, and he he was saying it, it is kind of quickness of thought, you know, thinking quickly. But he does everything quickly. Watch him when he walks off after the warm up, or after he walks out to have a look at the pitch before the game. Does everything really fast. Um, Hernandez definitely sees things before others see them. He has vis- he has sight beyond sight, where he he saw the gap, you know, and, and and had the skill to dance through it. Whereas I don't think, I think a lot of players, even at the championship, might have struggled to firstly see that opportunity and, and secondly execute it. We see some of the the balls he plays in games, and I completely forget which which um, game it was now where he essentially Leeds scored from an opposition corner. I can't remember when it was. Stoke away? Mm, when Dallas no, scored? This one was at Ellen Road. Well, but that is another example where he, he just sees a pass that none of us saw. We're sat there just going, how has he picked that out? How's the, oh, the ball's in the back of the net. Oh, oh, cheers, Pablo. Yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. I think, that, But there was one at Ellen Road and it wasn't too long ago where he, he got the ball on the break at the halfway and I think he pinged it of course, and it just landed in front of whoever and they ran on and scored. Um, but it's just that little 
vision and sight that unlocks defences that is priceless at this level, I think, because when you see games that are so close and so tense at times at Ellen Road, having that little magic can can really provide a spark and we saw it again and, and Leeds are going to need more of that from not just Pablo but everyone in the next sort of 10, 12 games. And the reason, of course, that Leeds particularly needed magic in the game against Reading was that the, the talismanic midfield enforcer... Um, stroke playmaker because let's be honest Calvin Phillips does a lot more than just stop opposition teams um, had limped off um, it was quite it was it was almost like you were watching a, a wildlife documentary with like a wounded animal trying to soldier on before meeting its inevitable fate because he he'd been in a couple of big challenges won them all and came out of one clearly hurt and not very comfortable and then Luke Ayling, I think it was, played him a bit of a short pass and that brought a player into close contact and Calvin had to thunder into another one. And again, he won that tackle again. But when he got up from that one, it was obvious that he was struggling and he tried his absolute best to walk it off, run it off. He was limping, he was he was stretching, kind of holding his leg. And then eventually he just kind of shook his head and sank to the turf and almost resignation that, you know, it wasn't going to happen for him. Um and it was it was kind of horrifying for Leeds fans, I think, to see that because that's that is the one on the pitch where, particularly after his suspension and the problems Leeds had in front of the defence when he wasn't there, that's the one that I think people worry about most, because at most other positions, you'd be all right. You know, Berardi comes in and does a solid job at centre half. I think most people are are quite confident that Meslier would do a good job in Kiko's absence. Dallas can play pretty much any position. Um, Alioski's on the bench Douglas is on the bench you've got wingers you know Paveda and Stevens you've got Shackleton who can play in the middle with a lot of mobility you've got big Kev who hasn't really had a look in yet who can play up front um, there are options but it's that Calvin Phillips role that is the problematic one when he's not there well yeah we spoke about it, the impact of having a, a 30 million pound footballer when you take them out obviously any side at this level is going to is going to feel that I think um, it was weird wasn't it because when he hit the deck there was almost a collective groan that all sort of swept around the stadium but that sort of shows how important everyone knows he is to this team um, I think uh, not that many footballers are but he's almost one of those players that you know if he goes down is genuinely injured because if not his not just his style of play but what is it they always say he's a good honest professional but yeah just hopefully fingers crossed it's not as bad as um, as initially feared because he was wandering around at full time wasn't he clapping the fans doing the old Pontus Janssen piss pump so I actually thought he didn't have a good start to the game on Saturday and when he went off how dare you actually helped Leeds which is a really odd no you're right they did look actually that's not to say that that wouldn't have happened if he was on the pitch I just felt like his first 20 minutes the game actually passed him by a little bit like a lot of joy Reading were having on the break was he was either a little bit out of position or, or he was caught upfield or whatever else. But that's not to say that wouldn't have improved the more he was going on. He just maybe hadn't started as well as the last couple of games. Yeah, and the young kid that Reading brought in to replace Ovi Ajaria, uh, Michael Alise, was it? Ajaria pulling up in the warm-up was a, a real boost for Leeds because he's a tricky, tricky customer. And I think I think the universal reaction from Leeds fans was, yes! <laughs> um, 
but whatever the opposite was to when Phillips went down. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the youngster they brought brought on actually started the game really brightly and made a couple of runs down the middle that he kind of ghosted past um, Phillips and and a and other with with real ease, um, and he looked a bit of a threat. But he never really sustained that. But you're right though. When Alioski came on and kind of doubled up with with Harrison on the left, Leeds looked really dangerous and really took over for the the last few minutes of the first half. Yeah, well, we were sat in a press box where we were saying that the half-time whistle was going to come at probably Leeds' best point, which was a shame. And I think Alioski had that chance, didn't he? Just over, I think, was it Harrison who clipped the ball over the top and he volleyed it straight into um, the goalkeeper? But that almost, like you say, the overload on the left, Reading suddenly didn't really know how to deal with that. And it almost shifted the game tactically, even though Leeds had probably lost their best player, um, which was a bit odd. Oh, it was just an odd feeling. But like I say, it wasn't necessarily going to stay the same throughout the 90 minutes. It was just, I don't think, obviously Ben White isn't as, as talented in that particular position as Calvin Phillips, but it did just give Leeds a fresh approach and I think it gave them a lot of joy. And then obviously when Pablo scores early in the second half, I think Reading are, are struggling and they're always going to chase the game from there. And for those of you who weren't off on the concourse getting your Bovril or your, your meal deal number two, um, Meslier was given a vigorous warm-up at half-time um, and the reason for that, as as first spotted by eagle-eyed Leeds fans um, and someone who took a picture of him, of, of Kiko Casilla trying to sign an autograph after the game with, with a busted hand, was that Casilla did pick up some kind of finger injury in the game um, and had his hand quite heavily bandaged after the game. That'll be one that we can update you on after speaking to Bielsa tomorrow. But he played the second half. It was obviously decided that he was he was in condition to good condition to continue, um, and it's almost as well he did because Leeds one nil up, saved their little bit of melodrama right for the end, as is almost customary, and had hearts in minds. In fact, as uh, as Reading put together their best attack of the game and probably their best chance, it drew Bielsa kind of right out of his technical area towards the halfway line, almost in in kind of anxious agony watching on um, as Liam Moore, the centre-half, had been thrown up into attack. Bielsa chided himself about this after the game, saying that he could have solved this, the confusion it created from the bench, but he didn't. Um, But he ran through. Liam Cooper did his utmost to kind of put Moore off within the confines of the the rules of the game. Um, And Kazia came up with an enormous save I mean that was just that save was so important, and for a player who's been under a lot of criticism because he's made some high-profile errors of late, that was a just a huge moment. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people appreciated it, didn't they? <laughs> when he went to get the ball back, there was like a Leeds fan ready there to hug him, which sort of summed it all up, didn't it? But I think an important moment as well, given the last couple of months that he's had, um, especially with the high-profile mistakes. Nice for him to sort of get one back, so to speak. Um, I mean, it was a save that probably should have made. I think, you know, it was one-on-one. He he got out to it quickly and his body's there closing down the angle. I think most goalkeepers would say that they should save that. But it was nice to sort of, for him to have that sort of moment and everyone to appreciate it. Because obviously there's off-field things going on. But more importantly, you know, in terms of Leeds United starting 11, he's kept that place while people have been calling for his head. Um, and nice for him to sort of 
repay that faith for, for Marcelo, which resulted in a handshake. Yeah, Bielsa celebrated that um, with about the same enthusiasm as he celebrated uh, Hernandez's goal, <laughs> that save, and then promptly marched onto the pitch to go and congratulate his goalkeeper um, and gave him some praise in the uh, post-match press conference. Um, they, it was a fairly routine post-match press conference, wasn't it, from Bielsa? There wasn't really a lot. I thought it was quite quick, actually. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was it, it was probably like ten minutes, which is which is very quick actually for a. We should, um, you know, what we should do. This this can a work exer can do this actually. Go back and see how long each press conference is, and then work out the average. And work out when he wins, what his minute <laughs> minute per per victory ratio is, what is and the his minute per defeat. Marcelo Bielsa press conference. After a win and after season. a defeat and after a draw. Yeah, I've often found that after wins, he's almost like, very, very matter-of-fact, doesn't really get too animated. After a defeat, you probably get better explanations out of him, you know, more content for us. Um, but, yeah, it was a quick one. I think Bowens was probably... Bit more interesting, just because of the stuff he said about the uh, our Australian referee, um, who I thought was one of the better ones we've seen at Ellen Road this season, and, and there haven't been many that have stood out. And you thought, you know, fair play, ref, you've you've called that all pretty much spot on, but he let it flow. And we've seen so many frustrating games at Ellen Road where teams have been allowed to just disrupt the game, and, and it's been anti-football, and the ball has not been in play for an awful lot of time, and. That's brought complaints from Bielsa. Um, I say complaints. He never ever blames the opposition team, and he very rare. Well, he doesn't blame the referee either. He just says it as a this is a fact of life. This happened. Um, but Jared uh, Gillette, the best a man can get, he really let it flow. Is it Gillette or is it Gile? <laughs> you'd have to you'd have to ask him, mate. Can managers out? Can managers tell the referee when? and when not to play advantage. That is the key question. I'm uh, cynical about... I'm sceptical, rather, about Bowen's comments because he... The the premise of his complaint was that he had made it clear to the fourth official, we're not interested in your advantage. Don't be giving me your advantage. We want free kicks. I see your advantage. I see your advantage and I reject it. We want free kicks. We want to bomb the ball into the area with um, pre-decided set-piece routines that we've worked on in the week. Um, that's what we want. So if we get files, don't give us an advantage. And, and the point he was making that Leeds United have a, you know, are organised, they've got four players back, they've probably got five more players chasing down the player on the ball to get it back. So where is the advantage for us? Um, but from a footballing point of view and from a spectator's point of view, like it's so frustrating when a game doesn't flow. Um, that's not Bowen's concern. Bowen's concern is points and wins and results, so he's not really too concerned about entertaining the Elland Road public. But I was really glad to see the referee let the game flow. Um, and, I, and I could see it happening. I could see him playing advantage, and Bowen would then berate the referee and have his arms outstretched. He said that he told the fourth official they didn't want advantage, and the fourth official had relayed that to the ref. Um, but the headset that they were using wasn't quite working. Um, I'm not quite sure why he told us that. Maybe he was, he was just suggesting that the, the message got lost in translation. But but he did seem to suggest the fourth official had told the referee at half-time they didn't want advantage. Um, but 
Jared, who you might remember from a, a, a great video of him being mic'd up in his last A-League game in Australia before he came over to England, um, which was absolutely brilliant to see, just the communication with the players. It might have been because he was mic'd up, I don't know. But that was brilliant, and his performance was pretty good as well. So Bowen's comments fell on a lot of deaf ears in Yorkshire. Well, I just wasn't sure whether a manager could dictate when a referee could play advantage or not. It's just a, it's, it's, it's a new one on me. I understand the premise of them wanting free kicks and to load the box because anyone who watches Leeds knows that free kicks and set pieces have been a big issue um, this season. But I just it's just an interesting train of thought that a manager has gone to the fourth official and said, we don't want, whatever the situation is, we don't want advantage. We want to put the ball in the box. Whether he's, can, I mean, he's within his rights to, to say that, but I don't know if he's within his rights to implement <laughs> Within that. the laws of the game. <laughs> um, I did ask him, should your players not control the situation? Because in rugby league, obviously, when or rugby union rather, when you have an advantage, if you don't want the advantage, you just dot the ball down. You just stop the game. You say, penalty please, ref, and, and you get the penalty. Quite what would happen if a Reading player had just kicked the ball out of play after the foul or just stood on it and looked at the referee, if he'd have blown his whistle and said, all right, then you can have the free kick. I don't quite know. Um, it raises an interesting point because you could have a scenario where, let's say, John Swift uh, picks up the ball after a teammate's been fouled and the referee's got his arms in the air to say, play on, you've got the advantage. If he just stood there with the ball at his feet and no Leeds players engaged him and kind of said, come on then, play, what the referee would do? I don't know. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> it's just weird, yeah. I, I mean, like you say, the ref, I thought the ref was probably one of the better ones that has been to Ellen Road or, or been in charge of, of Leeds this season. Um, but it's just an interesting thought process, isn't it? Because I'm just trying to think of the, all the different scenarios that would throw up. I think I think that's the only thing you could say as a manager to your players is literally every time you believe there's a foul, just stop. Yeah, or fall, over, or fall be, over. Just just stop and pick up the ball and say, no, we'll have the free kick. <laughs> what's the, what's the ref going to do? <laughs> Penalise you for handball, <laughs> which would be brilliant. Um, Although Reading's Twitter feed didn't enjoy one decision, did they? Yeah, that was an interesting. When I when I talked about Liam Cooper doing all that he physically could to stop Liam Moore without filing him, if Moore goes down there, it's a penalty. I'm sure of it. But he played on, stayed on his feet, and got a shot away. So I don't really think there's a great deal of. He played advantage. <laughs> he played a great advantage. The referee, <laughs> um, Bowen did say we don't want advantage unless someone's clean through. Moore was clean through, so yeah. you can't complain about that. Um, His block from Helder Costa in the first half was phenomenal as well. The, you know, when Jack Harrison sort of drilled it low to the edge of the six-yard box and Costa had sort of ghosted past his man and he basically had the whole goal and Moore just came out of nowhere and blocked it over the bar. It's like, how the heck has he done that? Fair dues. Good defender. Was it a boring game, do you think? Or was it just so routine because it was everything we're used to seeing? I think many Leeds fans would say that no game is boring because of their heart rate at the which the heart rate will be going up and down throughout the 90 minutes. <laughs> because even though they've played... Well, to be fair, I didn't think the first 20, 25 minutes was up to much. But I thought once Leeds got going, it was... You know, they did create maybe not as many chances as, as they did against Bristol City, but enough to win the game again. Reading didn't offer too much, but 
that chance at the end again, like you say, the heart rate with the fans, um, thinking, oh no, here we go again. We've seen this script so many times. I wouldn't describe it as boring. I don't think... Routine, watching, routine then. I don't think after... Would you describe it as routine? Is there a routine win for Leeds this year? <laughs> what I would if there say, is, that was it. Yeah, yeah. But what I would say in terms of boring is that many Leeds fans would remember the dross that has been on display at Ellen Road in recent seasons and watch I'm sure loads of them would swap every every which way to watch this this team and in, in their full flow at the moment because they are an absolute joy to watch regardless of whether they score enough goals or not. Yeah, there's there's a little element of this team that that are just so easy on the eye like the big switches to the flanks or Jack Harrison getting at people and um his first touch is just unbelievable. Calvin Phillips getting his body in the right way. Ben White seeing an opposition pass even before the opposition striker sees it and nipping in. Um, some of the passes from the goalkeepers, Casilla and, and Meslier in the Arsenal game, were, were just just really lovely facets of play. And and another one is for me is Click running, making those third man runs and um, really really nice to watch. Sometimes I think you just myself as much as anyone. It's just got to make sure I don't take it for granted watching this football because I. You know, you say Leeds fans have watched Dross. I would contend that some of the Dross I've seen in my time would give anyone else's Dross a run for its money. Okay. <laughs> not that it's a, not that it's a competition <laughs> oh, as wait, to who's who has who has suffered the most. I raise you now. Um, yeah, but again, like you say, the I think. A lot of Leeds fans are very aware about the the football that they are seeing, but at the same time, it'll be revered for years and years. Should it come to to something at the end of the season, if it doesn't, then I suppose the question will be asked: Well, what was the point in it all? But that's the, <laughs> that's, that's, the, that's, the sad, that's the sad <laughs> fact that results and what happens at the end of the season entirely dictates you know how you will feel about this season. Um, Dan Chapman uh, of the square ball and the YEP who sits up in the gantry. He uh, made a ting. Yeah, he made a um, he made a point after the game. I th- was it after the game? It was after a recent game because I was on a tram listening to it, and uh, and he was he was talking about he just wants them to get like a five or six nil drubbing to like really remember the football by because a lot of the one nil wins might kind of all meld into one, and it it could just become this this memory of a season where. Do you remember when Leeds overran every team and created a million chances but only scored one goal in every game? And um, The Borough game might stand out as the, as the 4-0 and, and the short corner routine that Click scored, but it would be that they are deserving of a 6-0 scoreline at some stage this season. Let's hope it's Wednesday. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, the Millwall one as well. Oh, you, was... meant, you meant this Wednesday, not... Oh, they've played Sheffield Wednesday twice, haven't yeah. they? Well, either way, to be honest, because I think loads of Leeds fans still have nightmares about the Hillsborough defeat down there when Jason Pearce still had his tag on his shirt when he was still playing. Anyway, let's not go into that. Um, <laughs> the I think last year did have a lot of those results. Um, you know, West Brom 4-0, Aston Villa away a couple of days before Christmas where they were 2-0 down and won 3-2 in the last minute. Blackburn where they were 2-1 down at the start of injury time and won but ultimately it resulted it didn't result in promotion so it's hard to know you don't I suppose we won't know how 
that season is in in in, in its individual merits will be remembered. But I think they will, you know, if they if this team does achieve something under Bielsa this season it will sort of maybe as the years go on it'll just go into do you remember that match under Bielsa regardless of the season it'll be like oh that was amazing because that that Villa one I'm sure most Leeds fans will be able to tell you what they were doing and where they were when they saw that goal go in whether they were in the stadium or or whatever but that's that I suppose that's the beauty of football isn't it and and last minute winners and things that everyone pays their money to to have those feelings from this game so it'd be interesting I suppose it's a question that we won't really be able to answer for another five years. Okay, we'll come back to it in episode... So, uh, see you in uh, 2025. <laughs> <laughs> episode, probably only 110 by that point. Yeah, Matthias um, Click will still be playing in midfield. <laughs> still be playing every game. Um, the Birmingham game, I think, for me, is probably the one that that will be remembered at this stage. Yeah, if the season was to end now, that's, for me, the most memorable game, just because of how... Insane it was. It's probably the most memorable game I've ever seen. Full stop. It was just absolutely. It was just nuts to try and cover it as well. It was just mental. It did make me laugh that you had to do the on the whistle the, on report, the whistle report, <laughs> which when the whistle went had about ten words, which was what happened. Yeah, what just <laughs> happened. Um, Holy wow. Yeah, it. As football fans, I think we probably don't often enough sit down and just remember. The times in a season when we were we were happy, um, because <laughs> because it's mostly sadness. Because it's mostly sadness and it's mostly worry and it's oh is you know are the FA going to come back with a verdict before Borough? You know are Kiko's fingers going to be okay? Is Calvin okay? It's a constant gnawing worry about the next game. It's like right, okay, fair enough. You won that one. Well done. I'm happy, but now I'm also worried because I'm thinking about the next game. Almost goes back to what we were talking about earlier. But you know, you said about was it a boring win? Anyway, it doesn't matter at this point because, again, we're feeding back to the whole. Everyone's so tense about whether they go up or not this year. That what and the fallout will be in each scenario. That if they don't go up, you know, there's going to be big changes this summer. If they do go up, it's going to be this amazing achievement. 16 years without Premier League football, blah blah blah. Everyone's so tense that even if they did win. 7-0 on Wednesday against Middlesbrough most people on Twitter on Thursday morning would go right well you only get three points for that so you know hold on Saturday we, we must win that one as well you know it just almost because everyone's so focused for 12 games it almost feels like it's it's like so tense and everyone's on such a knife edge almost you'd, like no one's enjoying anything you'd probably have a player come out after the game as well and although he'd say you know we deserved we deserved it, it was, we felt it was coming at some stage of the season <laughs> he'd probably then say but you know we've just got to get our heads down and, and prepare properly for one Saturday. One game at a time. <laughs> one game at a time, and and it would ruin it for everyone. Um, but one man who will be hoping that there's no drubbing on my side will be Jonathan Woodgate. Um, it would be one of football's little twist of fates, wouldn't it, if Leeds United was the team to defeat Borough in what could be his last game. Um, now I don't claim to have any inside knowledge of Borough and the inner workings of Borough, um, but he's got to be feeling the pressure more than most in the championship at the minute. No wins since New Year's Day is a pretty rancid run of results. Three points off the drop zone and they're hosting Leeds on Wednesday night. I think as well the fact that you, you throw into that the, they lost to Luton last weekend, which you know is an al- who are now bottom, and they lost to Barnsley this weekend. So 
it's not even the fact that they've you know been beaten by teams that are maybe having good seasons or pushing for the playoffs, whatever. They've they've lost to teams that are directly below them in the table in the relegation zone. So I think it's piled the pressure on and probably the manner of the defeats as well. I mean, there's no way when you look at that squad, the, the players that they've got in there, they should be where they are. You know, Sombolonga, Fletcher, even is it Nemecha from from Man City who they signed on loan. They've got quality in there. It's just, I mean, we don't watch them on a, on a weekly basis, so it's hard to pinpoint exactly where it's going wrong, but it does sound like there's a, a little bit of a crisis going on. But like saying, what is it? No win in nine, no win since New Year's Day. I think before that they had a good run because they won it. Won well. it they, won strong, four, didn't they? they won four on, a bi- on the bounce. So it's just really odd. But yeah, three points off the relegation zone with 12 to go is not some not a place that anyone would want to be, especially with Barnsley. Barnsley have just won twice in a row. Incredible. So yeah, and and Wigan won at the weekend, so it like almost puts the pressure straight on them. And I think as well they've got Leeds, Forest, and Chef Wednesday as well. So it's like the two games that they would have been looking at in that run, in that five-game run, they've just lost both of them. I mean, we watched Barnsley go to to Fulham and win. So this division's so crazy that it wouldn't surprise me that if, if they got three great results. But it sounds like they're in a bit of free fall. I tell you. For whom this game might be coming at a great time, um, Patrick Bamford, because this is of course the Patrick Bamford derby um, and the Victor Orta derby, um, and the Forshaw derby as well, isn't it? Um, but for Bamford, um, he could really use a goal again. You know, he 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 broke that long spell without any goals, but then he's gone on another spell with no goals. That that little. Um, that moment where he broke his, his duck previously and he had that kind of celebration of covering his ears and he scored two in a game. That wasn't followed by his usual spate of, you know, three goals in six or whatever that, that normally accompanies a Bamford goal. He normally goes on a bit of a streak. He hasn't done. And on Saturday, I think, whilst I've been so impressed all season with his hold-up play and his general contribution to Leeds, his press and everything, he did all the hard defensive work but he just didn't seem to really get into the game and almost everything he did went badly wrong for him. Yeah, I agree with that. I think he had a very, very good game against Bristol City and should have scored. And at the weekend, I think he was just almost his season summed up in his inconsistency over 90 minutes, really. Um, sort of did a lot of the defensive work well, pushed from the front, but just didn't quite... I mean, he had... Was it three crosses in the first 10, 15 minutes that were a yard or so in front of him? And that's sort of how, if someone asked me to sum up Patrick Bamford, how I'd describe him is that he's always, or not always because that's a bit unfair, he's still scored 12 goals. Often. He's, he's often just half a second behind play in front of goal. And I think that's the how I would describe if someone said, like, can you sum him up? That, that that's how you'd sum up his season. Is he's, that, he's there just after he should be, if that makes any but sense. But is that because he's been, you know, midway between halfway in the goal line, playing his part in the build up, knocking the ball wide and then turning and, and getting in the box? Or, you know, is the system to the detriment of his goal scoring record, but also getting the best of him in terms of his, his build up play and his all round contribution? I would say no. To that, I think that it's just his reading of the game in front of goal. I think the three crosses we're talking about, he's in position. He's just a little bit flat-footed. And maybe someone else who who's reading the game slightly quicker 
gets to the front. Maybe I'm being harsh. Maybe I'm being super harsh. People will be able to tell me if I'm if I am. But I, this hope, is just, I hope they will. Yeah. Well, no, they will do. Absolutely. <laughs> I'll get thousands of tweets saying you're you're wrong. Shut up. But I just feel like maybe that his reading of the game's slightly behind. So. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Do, it wasn't, do you feel the same? I don't know. To be honest, I'm. I felt like he should have got on the end of one of those crosses um, with a with a full connection. Like I, I felt like they were good crosses, good balls into the box, and I, and I also have a suspicion that kind of a twenty five goal striker would have would have got one of those on target or turned one onto the onto target. Um, I really like his build up play. There are definite question marks over his over his finishing. I mean, how could there not be? given the chances he's had, and he's had the most shots in the championship. Bielsa himself has said it. Bielsa wants him to score more goals, wants him to get what he deserves. Um, I still think Bielsa will continue to back him. I think he'll start against Borough, um, and I wouldn't bet against him getting a goal, particularly when he'll be getting pelters from the home crowd. So, I'll give you a scenario. Eddie Nketiah probably scores two of those three crosses but he doesn't do half the work that Bamford does. Bamford doesn't score any of those three crosses, but does all the defensive work that is required in the Bielsa system. And that is literally the issue that Leeds had in the first six months of the season. And I think it's still the issue that Leeds will have as long as Bamford is the striker. But if they didn't have Bamford as the striker, how many chances would not get... 100%. Because if he did both, he wouldn't be in the championship. Exactly. Aye, there's the rub. Podcast ends. Um, I'd like to see a wee bit more of uh, Jean Kevin. Yeah, so was I. So so was I. So would I. But I think Saturday was a different game, wasn't it? Because there was still only one goal. It would be ace to bring him on when they're three and up or something like that, wouldn't it? But with half with like half the game still to play. And we we mentioned it last week about his fitness. He's obviously getting there very slowly. He's not unfit. He's just not Bielsa fit. Um, but yeah, it would be good to see because it would be he has he's basically had one chance hasn't he and that was against Bristol City and it was a little snapshot it would be good to see him get presented some more consistent chances like Bamford is just to see whether he is that sort of finisher like Nketiah or you know because we still don't know either that whether he does the defensive work because he's not been on the pitch long enough so is he sort of a mix of both I mean he's rated at what 17 million in the summer if, if Leeds do have to to buy him if they go up so I think Leeds fans will be keen to, to see but they don't have Bielsa doesn't have time at this stage like results are paramount it, they've got to be the number one priority so as we know he's not going to make any decisions um, based on, on people's feelings which is why it took Robbie Gotts so long to, to make his debut yeah um Interesting you mentioned Enkedia. He's been speaking about Bielsa and Leeds and, and talking about Bielsa being a very demanding coach, but someone that he learned from. Enkedia feels like he grew as a player at Leeds. Um, Bielsa's whole argument about Enkedia being recalled was that it didn't make sense to say we're recalling him because he's not played enough um, because you know he's probably going to get less minutes at Arsenal. He started the last two for the Gunners, scored and did himself no harm whatsoever in the 3-2-0, in the 3-2 win over Adam Pope's Everton. Um, (laughs) Bielsa's words are kind of being thrown back at him a little bit 
with the way Arteta is using Enkeria in the Premier League. And I remember I said this as well. I didn't think he would get anywhere near the same amount of minutes. Um, and fair play, he is. But it's... I think the, what the Bielsa's, not bitterness, but annoyance comes from the fact that, you know, the loan was agreed for the whole year. And he even said, didn't he, I can't remember when it was, maybe mid-November, mid that he would like him again next season, just because that would be the almost ideal time to have him because he'll have moulded him into the striker that he wants. And obviously, as we know, that Bielsa wants people to learn the ways of his system for prolonged periods of time and whether Nketiah was just getting to that stage, you could argue he was or he wasn't. I mean, only Bielsa knows. He says he was, um, which is why he obviously started at West Brom over Bamford. Um, but yeah, he's he's doing. he seems to be doing well. And again, you're talking about someone who's getting will will get presented with countless chances at, at Arsenal. They just need someone like him alongside Aubameyang or whoever to, to stick the ball in the net. And it'll be interesting to watch his career from here on out, I guess. But he seems to put a lot of stock in what he learned in just a short space of time under Bielsa. So, I mean, good luck to him and fair enough, fair, fair play from, from Mikel Arteta. I mean, they're a team at the moment that if they were flying, they wouldn't have needed him back. But they were struggling in the Premier League when he when he was recalled. So it's hard to know whether different circumstances might have dictated different things. But Leeds are where they are now and, and need to look forward. And I think he's, he continues to have the well wishes of Leeds fans, doesn't he, in Caddy? I think so, yeah. I think a lot of the, the reaction from Leeds fans to his goal yesterday was very positive. Um, I think I think a lot of people w- would kind of wish that it had worked out differently. Um, and who knows you know, what would have happened had he not picked up that mystery groin injury um, when he was just about to get his chance. Um, personally, I, I don't think he'd have... Um, lit up the the championship in the way some might have expected because I think at that stage he still wasn't completely au fait with the system and with all the running and the pressing but um, undoubtedly a player of real ability a really good finisher Um, I mean that finish against Everton was really nice Um, and he'll score a gazillion goals in his career Um, a bit like his, his mentor Ian Wright who uh, in his spare time is actually a Leeds United reporter and managed to elicit uh, and break the news that Calvin Phillips' injury on Saturday was no more than a dead calf. Is this why Phil Hayes joined Instagram? (laughs) It might be, because this is where the news is now breaking. (laughs) This is the scoop. Um, Instead of a fire emojis, it's now injury team injury news. What we need, really, is Bielsa to be on Instagram... And, and fans to ask him questions that he then answers with complete honesty on, on Instagram, as I'm quite sure he would, um, so that we can then use that information. Um, I mean, if I had posted a message saying, hi, Calvin, how's the injury? Firstly, he wouldn't have responded, but but secondly, had he responded, I think I probably would have been in quite a bit of trouble for uh, approaching a player <laughs> in such a manner. But Enright can do that. Yeah. Delete his number from your phone. <laughs> so it doesn't trace back to you. <laughs> um, what, what I think my job now is to get in Ian Wright's ear and feed him the questions that we really want the answers <laughs> to from various Leeds United players. Yeah. Um, but that is good news for Leeds United if it is true that he only suffered a dead calf. And, um, and 
it will not be good news for the for a newspaper um, in the Middlesbrough region who have reported today that Leeds have lost Calvin Phillips for this game. Um, they've it's a bold move. They've gone early. Um, it's a bold move, Cotton. <laughs> Calvin Phillips has been <laughs> sensationally ruled out of the Middlesbrough game by the unnamed newspaper. Um, I don't know why you would do such a thing. They need all the help they can get. We get enough stick as it is without inviting, without saying this is my bold prediction based on not a lot. Come and take shots at me. I have no answer for this because, like you say, why would you bother inviting that that pressure on you? I don't know. It's almost like the stupid clickbait website that said Bielsa was going to resign when he called that Spygate press conference. I mean, that was... You just that, lose all credibility. Yeah, that was gutsy. I mean, they rolled the dice there, didn't they? I mean, it was based on no information whatsoever, clearly. And they thought, it's very possible he could resign here. Let's roll the dice. Well, it made me laugh because we obviously turned up at Thorpe Arch and was like, like, what is going on here? And the response is, no idea. He's put. He's setting up a PowerPoint. <laughs> right then. Oh, I, I would love it if we walked fun. in, you know, at, at some some week, and he was setting up a PowerPoint. You just rub your hands, wouldn't you? Thinking of the all the web traffic and the uh, the sales. <laughs> PowerPoint named Graham Smith. <laughs> well, no, I wouldn't. Like list list of articles. I think my heart would uh, drop into my stomach. If, uh, <laughs> it's a nope. If uh, if that was the case, um, also a bold line to come out of Middlesbrough from the actual Middlesbrough team was the line that you put on our website earlier about this being a good as good a game as any for them to bounce back. Football player waffle in that. Um, if you're a Borough player in the form they're in, do you really look at this game and lick your lips and think, "Come on, like this is the one," or do you think we have got to be? absolutely perfect and defend like lions because otherwise we're going to get humped humped yes that's probably the term um i'm not sure i mean to be fair to to ryan shot and he spoke really quite openly about the fact that their mentality needs to change um which i thought was quite interesting because it's quite interesting to hear a footballer stick their head above water in terms of you know the, the fact that the squads maybe got the wrong mentality for a relegation fight the fact that they they as we've seen with other teams in the past maybe think they're above it and it's just going to sort itself out and the fact that they're three points above the the drop zone they are very much in a relegation scrap now and with 12 games to go they just need to get results regardless of the performance so yeah i think there's an element of maybe appeasing fans in one regard but he's been around enough to you know with Stoke and teams like that to know that they need results and results are what gets you done in in the championship you can't be relying on anyone else um interesting to see whether they can get up I mean they shouldn't need any extra motivation to get up for for a game against Leeds United but I'm not sure having not watched them in the last few weeks whether they are genuinely a team with without an idea of you know what they're supposed to be doing or whether they've just been unlucky or I feel like from what I've read it's the first one they haven't just been consistent enough and the performances just haven't been there you know getting beat by Luton and Barnsley at this stage of the season if they if you flip the results on the other way around it almost drags them away from this and now they're into it so whether Leeds United is <laughs> an ideal game it's the championship all over isn't it 
we don't. I mean, you still get. I mean, on paper, nothing's ever played on paper. But on paper, you go, well, that's you know, they've got no chance. They'll never win that. But Barnes are going to Fulham. I said it earlier, just nuts in it. This this division is crazy and throws up some odd results. Fingers crossed, Leeds United can just go there, concentrate on themselves, and then you know the results take takes care of itself with yeah. Calvin Phillips. Fingers crossed. You, you just don't want to make prediction, do you? So, with well, that in mind, it. what is your prediction for Middlesbrough versus Leeds United? Um, football will be played. Okay, I'm going to say three <laughs> 0 Leeds United. Three. Yeah. See, I, I, I just feel like everything this season just feels like one nil Leeds. But I, it almost as well, you're playing a team that is on such a downward spiral. Whereas if you scored early, it really could get out of hand. Could get ugly, but then on the other flip side, like this is, <laughs> you could also lose one nil. <laughs> <laughs> True. Look at Wigan. The Wigan game. The Wigan game. It just says it all, doesn't it? I think Leeds should far away have too much for them. We uh, just really to finish. To <laughs> just to finish, we uh, we were discussing um, last week in the office, weren't we? How many times Leeds United could could rebuild their eleven point lead? <laughs> lose it and then build it again before the end of the season and what are there left 12 games left now Mm. and the gap is five points um so in two games time they could be 11 points clear again if results went their way which would leave 10 games and then it would take another four for them to lose it which would leave help me here Six, six, Sorry, I six games. I wasn't actually so there'd still be six games again. left, and they could build it again <laughs> in four games. So they could they could build the lead again twice, but lose it only once, and then partly lose it again. It would be great if they could just build the lead once and sustain <laughs> it. That would be the ideal situation. Yeah, um, it would be great if we if we didn't kind of have to revisit some of the old panic and and meltdown and anxiety and 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 have kind of you definitely get a feel that. There are elements in media, sports media, that are salivating at the chops when when things start to go a little awry for Leeds United because they just know that it's such a big talking point and Leeds fans are so heavily invested in the, in the discussion of it that it will bring a host of hits or listeners or whatever it is, whatever currency you trade in, to your organisation. Um, I think it would be nice if we had some new talking points between now and the end of the season. Like what? What changed to make Leeds United so efficient in front of goal in the final stages of the season? Why did they start beating teams three and four nil? Um, How Leeds United did not fall apart again? Yeah. Why were Leeds United so steady uh, in the final part of the season? <laughs> but it, it it does feed into that, doesn't it? That Leeds are falling apart again. Narrative. Um, let's just hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah. Um, it would be nice to have a record low number of times that song was aired at Elland Road. Well, to be honest, I think most Leeds fans would say that they want that song to be sang on the pitch, on a pitch invasion, on whenever it is that they are promoting. It will get a good airing, won't it? Absolutely, 100%. Um, well, that's all for episode 80. We will potentially be back with episode 81 in our attempts to try and overtake Click um, later in this week. Once Leeds United have played Middlesbrough, we'll be speaking to Marcelo Bielsa tomorrow at Thor Barch, and we'll hopefully have some good news for you in terms of team selection then. <laughs>